The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for um, attending tonight or those who are going to listen later on uh, the as a podcast. Um, this is Claire Stanley from ACB National. I am the Director of Advocacy um, and Governmental Affairs, and we are starting tonight um, one of four um, episodes here on the community call. And again, what will also be created as a podcast to talk about the four imperatives that we will be advocating for on Capitol Hill on March 5th, um, after the leadership conference. We just wanted to have a time where we could go through the four imperatives, um, explain them in a little bit more detail, answer any questions that might arise. Um, We just want to make sure that everybody are well acquainted with these issues um, so that when you go to Capitol Hill, you're familiar familiar with them when you're talking to the congressional staffers, um, and, and especially so that when you're talking about these issues, you can provide any personal stories or anecdotes, because I think these issues really come alive when uh, those of us who are blind or low vision can really give our own experiences um, as to why we're advocating for these particular bills. Um, just a few kind of housekeeping things before um, I jump into the first imperative. There will be four of these. This is the first. Um, each week, there will be two. Over these next two weeks, I will do one. Then Swatha and Nandu Kumar will do one um, and then repeat next week. So we're dividing and conquering over the four imperatives. Um, if you want to do some reading on the imperatives, go to acb.org and check it out. Um, We found out there's a little confusion if you do a control F to find the leadership conference, as I often do for websites. The first thing that'll pop up is uh, more of a news um, alert on the um, leadership conference. So if you try to find the um, descriptions or the written out um, explanation of the imperatives, you're not going to find it the first time you do a control F. So do it a second time and you're explicitly looking for the link that says DC Leadership Conference. And there you should be able to find a list of all four imperatives and the documents that Swatha so wonderfully put together with the explanations. Um, We're also going to provide handouts. Um, They're shorter explanations of the bills if you come in person to the leadership conference that you can hand out to your Congress members and their staffers. Or if you do online Zoom meetings with your Congress staffers, which is very common now, um, post-COVID, we'll also provide them electronically so you can share them as well um, in that particular format. Um, A couple more pieces of business. Um, For those who are presidents or leaders of your affiliates, I'm working specifically on Hill Day activities. Swath and I had reached out. We would love to get as much information as we can on who you're meeting with, just so if we need to fill in any of the gaps to really hit upon any Congress members who are specific to these pieces of legislation, we'd love to know. So please let us know. It would be really helpful. Um, For instance, sometimes we want to hit up a specific um, congressional member because he or she might sit on a specific committee that is overseeing these four pieces of legislation. So if you can let us know, it'll just help us to really plan strategically so we can meet with um, any members who um, our members aren't going to. If you'd like to be those people who are filling in the gaps, let us know as well because we can definitely um, fit you in. 
And lastly, if you are looking for um, guide assistance um, to go to um, the different offices, because we totally understand they're confusing buildings. If you want guide assistance, if you can let us know ahead of time, that would also be helpful so we can make sure we have enough volunteers. We're looking for college students who are willing um, to help all of us get around um, the six different um, congressional office buildings. Um, I believe that is the main, you know, parts of uh, uh, strategy and business I wanted to bring up, but um, I might bring up a few things after. But I'll just jump in and talk about our first imperative that we will be going over tonight. Um, and for those of you who have done uh, Hill Day in the past in legislative seminars, it's probably going to sound familiar, and that's okay. Um, a lot of times we bring up the same imperatives um, year after year because Passing legislation is a slow process. Don't be discouraged by that. That's just kind of how the process works. Um, and I never want us to think, oh, it didn't pass last congressional session, so we're just not going to work on it. These issues are really important to the blind and low vision community. And so we're going to keep advocating for them um, because there's lots of pieces of legislation that take multiple congressional sessions to get passed. And so um, if there are issues that we care a lot about, we're going to continue to pound the pavement, as it were, um, because these issues are important. And as long as the senators and uh, representatives continue to introduce them um, and we believe they're important to our community, um, we'll continue to advocate for them because that's just kind of the name of the game. Um, so the first bill I'll be talking about tonight, um, so the, the one imperative for today is the Medicare and Medicaid Dental Vision and Hearing Benefits Act. Kind of a mouthful, so I might just refer to it as the Medicare bill um, for short tonight. But it has to do with Medicare and Medicaid coverage for um, any type of lens or um, low vision device that uses a lens. Um, I'll make a distinction um, a little bit more in the uh, further on in the conversation, but I do want to make the distinction uh, right away. In the Senate side, as the name I just read, includes Medicare and Medicaid. But on the House side, it doesn't include Medicaid in the title. Um, and that's because uh, when we write bills, when Congress writes bills, um, they can include different things. And so when Senator Casey drafted the bill on the Senate side, he included Medicare and Medicaid coverage. But when Representative Doggett um, wrote the bill on the House side, he did not include Medicaid. Hopefully that's something that'll be situated once it moves into the applicable committees, into the conference room as they're working on the language and hopefully that'll all be shuffled out. But as of now, the two aren't perfectly identical because one includes both forms of insurance and one only includes Medicare. Um, but we still believe they're really important and we hope that it'll all get situated. So we still wanted to advocate for it because it's a really important issue. Um, so let's jump in. Um, so why are we talking about this issue at all? What, what's going on? So back in 2008, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or you might hear us call it CMS for short, and I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with CMS. Um, it's the federal agency that oversees Medicare um, that a lot of us either have or will have one day. So in 2008, CMS adopted some regulations that said that Medicare and Medicaid, so both forms, would not cover um, glasses. So you might hear us call this the eyeglasses ex exclusion. That's the terminology that's often used. Um, 
I don't know why. Um, that might be an interesting question for somebody who knows the history of why CMS decided not to include um, eyeglasses and any other lenses. Um, but unfortunately, this happened back in 2008. So it's been there for quite a few years. And so this, again, includes eyeglasses, but it also includes other things with lenses. So this could be things like um, magnifiers, um, you know, handheld magnifiers, things that are a little more high tech that use lenses. So as of now, Medicare and Medicaid won't cover these. And for those of us in our community with low vision, we know these pieces of devices are not cheap. They cost a lot of money. And if you're receiving Medicare or Medicaid, you're probably living on a pretty um, fixed income. And so it's going to be expensive to, you know, out of your pocket, pay for these devices. And so it, it really impacts our community of people with low vision. Um, I also always like to point out that a lot of people who are receiving Medicare specifically are older. They might lose their vision when they're older. And so they become especially dependent on these pieces of equipment to be independent. You know, we want people to be able to live at home, to do things like, you know, read, read their bills, read their prescription bottles and be able to take their medication safely and independently. Um, we even make the argument, which I don't think is a stretch at all, that being able to have these different forms of lenses and technology um, can be the difference between people living independently at home or being forced into some kind of institutional setting. Because again, if you can't take your medication independently and safely, you're going to be in a pretty unsafe situation. And the existing technology could fix that problem really easily. I'm sure there are many of us who are listening um, out there in our community who use different types of lenses and magnifying programs who know that these are huge um, assets to people with low vision. Um, so we're advocating for them to, uh, the law to essentially overrule this regulation, this eyeglasses exclusion um, regulation and say, no, um, we need Medicare and Medicaid. Again, on the Senate side, it says Medicare and Medicaid. In a minute, I'll talk about the House side, um, but advocating for this regulation essentially to be overturned so that persons um, who receive Medicare and or Medicaid can get these covered. Because um, again, they're very expensive, but they can make a big difference. One of the arguments I also like to make is that persons with physical disabilities who receive Medicare or Medicaid, they can get a lot of the assistive devices they need for their disability, things like wheelchairs and walkers. Those are covered. So it seems a little frustrating um, or inappropriate that one disability would get the needs met, which don't get me wrong, is completely appropriate and things like wheelchairs and walkers should be covered. But why is it that tools to keep them independent are provided or covered under Medicare, um, but in the low vision community, they're not? So it's something we've been advocating for a long time and we're going to continue. Um, um, sorry, I'm just reading through my notes. So on the Senate side, again, it was introduced by um, Senator Casey out of the state of Pennsylvania. Um, his name might sound familiar because he's a, a longtime advocate um, for disability rights and introduces a lot of pieces of legislation that impact the blind and disability communities. Um, this is on the handouts that would give, but if you want to memorize it and sound like you know what you're talking about, it's Senate Bill 842. Um, again, that's not on the Senate side. Um, it was introduced by Casey, who's again from Pennsylvania, a Democrat out of the state of Pennsylvania. 
Um, it will cover specifically, so the language says it would cover devices that are prescribed by a doctor. So that's one distinction. Um, it's not just, you know, any device that you um, say you need. It has to be prescribed by a doctor, which could have some pros and cons, in my opinion, but just to make that specification that we need to be able to um, to articulate to um, the staff members when we talk about them. Um, on the house side, again, if you want to know the bill numbers, it's um, house the House of Representatives, you'll hear us say HR a lot, HR 33. Um, and it was introduced by Representative Doggett from the state of Texas, who's also a Democrat. Um, like I mentioned before, it doesn't cover Medicaid. It's only Medicare, um, which personally I think is frustrating. You know, it sh should cover both. Um, and like I said, who knows in the wash of, um, you know, the bills being it, the way our government works and the legislature works, the the bills have to become identical before they ever can be officially adopted and signed by the president. So hopefully in the process of things are whittled down further and further um, and brought between the two um, branches of the government in our bicameral system, hopefully things will be ironed out. Um, but right now, just as you're articulating these to your staff members, um, just know that that the House of Representative Bill, H.R. 33, does not include Medicaid, just Medicare. But otherwise, they're very similar. Um, these have been, like I talked about at the beginning, they've been introduced in multiple times. So for those who have been around, they probably sound familiar, but we're going to continue to um, advocate for them because um, hopefully as you guys hear these explanations, you can understand why they be so important to the low vision community and how helpful they are. So um, as long as Congress keeps introducing them, I think we'll continue to advocate for them because they're just so essential. Um, I'm going to talk now um, a little bit about the committees that these bills are going from. So when a bill is introduced in the House and the Senate, um, they are assigned um, by the parliamentarian to a committee. And each committee kind of has an assigned topic that they work on. And so it's assigned to that committee because those that committee is kind of an expert, quote unquote, on those issues. Sometimes the bill can even be introduced to multiple committees if they believe it touches upon uh, many different issues. In this particular situation, each bill, um, respectively in the House and Senate, were only introduced to um, one committee. So I'll talk about each on each side of the, the of Congress. Um, but I'm bringing this up because <clears throat> if you know who your Congress members are on each side, if you know that they sit on that particular committee, please go ahead and speak up even more. Because if somebody sits on a committee, I don't want to say they have more authority, but essentially they kind of do because they're working very more closely on that issue. So if he or she sits on that designated committee, you can really speak up and say, hey, Congress member so-and-so sits on this particular committee. Can you please make sure that he or she is working hard to move this particular bill forward? Um, Swatha has before sent out a spreadsheet with all the different committees. Um, so we encourage you to look at that spreadsheet that she sent out or a good old fashioned Google will pop these up right away. So you can even just Google it. It's really easy. Um, you can also go to congress.gov. Um, so the committee on the Senate side is called the Committee on Finance. Um, so again, look at that spreadsheet or just Google it. 
Um, but the um, Senate Committee on Finance is where it'll go to. Um, I'm going to talk briefly on both bills about the chairperson of each committee. I'm not going to list all the members of each committee because that would take a while. Um, but I did pull up the chairperson of each committee. So you can do a quick Google. Um, if this happens to be from your state, I'll tell you the state they're from. Um, take extra care to try to talk to them. Um, so the head chairperson or chairman of uh, the Committee on Finance on the Senate side is Ron Wyden. He's a Democrat from the state of Oregon. So if you're from Oregon or you know someone's from Oregon or anything like that, please take that opportunity. Um, some other sponsors are Senator Cardin from my state of Maryland, um, Brown from Ohio, Blumenthal from Connecticut, Fetterman from Pennsylvania. Again, I'm not going through all of them. Um, most of those were the majority, not the minority. But just to list a few, again, you can Google it. It'll pop right up or you can look at that spreadsheet. Um, now I'll move over to the House side. The House bill number, like I said, is HR 33. And the specific committee is Energy and Commerce. Um, the current um, chairperson, the lead of this committee, um, it, the Republicans actually have the, my, uh, the majority, excuse me, in the um, House, unlike the Senate. So you could see that the chairman of the Senate was a, a Democrat, but on the um, House of Representatives side, it's a Republican. Um, as the lead or the chairwoman. And that is Kathy McMorris Rogers. She's a Republican from the state of Washington. So for to our Washington affiliate, please make sure you're doing some great advocacy there. Um, Catherine McMorris Rogers actually has a son with a disability, with an intellectual and developmental disability. So even though she comes from a more con fiscally conservative background, she actually has started to be a pretty great advocate for disability-related issues. Um, so if you have a chance to speak with her um, or from the state of Washington, please keep that in mind. Uh, again, you can go to congress.gov to find out any of this information or just a good old-fashioned Google will pop them up. If anybody needs Swath and I to recirculate the spreadsheet with all of that information, we're happy to do so. Um, but uh, yeah, that is in a nutshell um, what this bill is all about. If you have any questions, um, please go ahead and reach out to Swatha and um, or myself at advocacy at acb.org. We'll also be going over the imperatives again at the legislative seminar on March 4th. Um, and depending on the um, bill, um, so again, this is the first of the four that we'll be talking about. We have a couple guest speakers. Some we have actual sponsors of the bills, just a couple, not all, unfortunately. Some we have um, allies and other um, organizations we work like work with, like the American Foundation for the Blind. Um, some we have some of our own members who are experts on these issues. Um, so tonight is not the only time I'll be talking about this. We'll be talking about it at uh, the legislative seminar so people can ask questions and we can go over it further. Um, but we just wanted to take this opportunity um, to speak in real time on a community call as well as provide this as a reported, recorded podcast um, so we can further go over. Check out the imperative write-ups at acb.org. Um, those are some great resources to know about. And again, I'd encourage you to do your homework if you can to just find out if your representatives and senators sit on the applicable committees and or are the original sponsors 
of these bills so that you can know if they already kind of have a play in where these uh, bills stand. Um, and the, that is the main overview of the bill. So I'd love to take any questions that might be out there on um, this, this bill that's been introduced in both the House and the Senate. All right. First, you have Ray Campbell. You can end me. Hey, hey, Claire. Uh, good evening. Uh, thanks for that overview. Um, I do have a question. If this is passed, if this is passed with the Medicaid coverage also included, is the Medicaid part of? Is that something that states would have to opt in to uh, cover in their states? Because I know Medicaid is a federal and state program, and so I know with other things that the states have to opt in. Would it, Would this be the same way or not? Oh, that's a really good question, Ray. You're keeping me on my toes. Um, I think your assumption is correct. Um, I can look it up to be 100 percent sure because well, I don't want to be misleading. But I think your assumption is correct. Yeah. Uh, well, that well then what I would just add to that and say is if that's the case, then that is a real important message to our state affiliates out there. If we get this passed, we're going to have to do our advocacy within our states to get them to uh, include it as part of what their their Medicaid, you know, what they do as far as Medicaid. So just an uh, important message to our state affiliates there. Absolutely. And I, I'll take this moment too to say, like I'd been mentioning, uh, the, the House side does not include Medicaid, only Medicare. So um, if you're talking to a House office, I'd encourage you to speak up and say, please include Medicaid as well, because we want to make Thank sure you. that all communities good, good. have it. Yeah. Great point. Thank you. Right. Yeah, thank you. So next you have Karen Campbell. <laughs> okay. There are two more pieces to to this bill. Um is there anything that we uh object to with with regard to the other pieces of this bill or are we just concentrating on the vision part? I I'm asking because I in case staff members ask us about the other two pieces. Yeah, um, I'm assuming you're talking about hearing and dental, Karen? You are correct. Perfect, just confirming. So yes, Karen is correct. There are two additional components of this bill. Um, they would include hearing and uh, dental. I remember learning, just as a, a side caveat, I remember learning just a few years ago, I think at the last time I worked at ACB, that uh, dental is not in uh, included in things like Medicare and Medicaid. And I remember being dumbfounded. Um, first of all, that's just wrong. But second of all, if you have poor things like poor dental care, that could lead to poor health complications just in general. So to me, it just seems wildly inappropriate but that's my own side comment but all that to say you're correct karen those are included in the bill um to my knowledge no there's nothing we object to um i apologize that i didn't spend any time on them just for obvious reasons being acb we really honed in on the vision component for our low vision community um but if you want to talk about the dental and hearing components um no there are no you know, caveats are things that are that we disagree with. They're equally important, I would say, depending on people's priorities. But yes, those are great things you can bring up as well. So thank you. Next, you have Myra Schecht, and I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Yeah, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Uh huh. Uh, it's actually Neural Schecht. I have a couple. Oh, sorry. 
First of all, we're talking about SR842 and HR33, Bill. Um, my question is, first of all, yes, we're talking about uh, uh, magnifying glasses and low vision net. Why don't we throw in note-takers net? You know, note for people who are blind, you know, note-takers are so expensive. Why don't we, you know, I mean, just my thought. No, um, this is Claire. I think that's a really great point, and I agree. The only reason why that's not brought up right now is because this bill is specifically trying to overturn what we call the eyeglass um, exclusion. And so the current requirement is that it includes anything with the lens. So unfortunately, um, to my knowledge, at least, um, most note takers or none of them have a lens. So um, we would have to amend this a little bit. And so um, definitely something you could advocate for. That's totally your right when you go and talk to your representative. But it unfortunately just kind of it's kind of is just a little bit too far out of what this currently is all about. Gotcha. And then one more question. Okay, I'm going to, have to definitely email you guys for the uh, Excel spreadsheet. You know, for for so I know who I'm speaking with. And Absolutely. As far as S Bill um two nine eight four and HR five eight one three. Um, my question is. Has that been introduced already? What's the status on that, Bill? Sorry, I, those were different numbers than the ones that we just talked about. Can you remind me which two those are? Yeah, uh, S2984 and HR58813 is a website and software application accessibility act. Gotcha. I'll answer very quickly, but as a teaser, I'll let you know tonight we're focusing on this one. And well, I, I think we're talking about that one next week. I don't have them memorized. Okay. Um, but but yes, though that is most definitely one of the imperatives that we'll be working on this year. Again, you can find the write-up on um, acb.org, and we'll be doing a community call just like this. Um, but they have both been, both sides, House and Senate, have been reintroduced in the 118th Congress, something ACB has been working on um, with many other orgs to get introduced, and we're really excited about it. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So next, you have Sharon Stalkowski. Thank you. Um, Claire, what I'm, what I'm thinking about is um, things like Envision glasses. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that, I don't, I've never really seen them, so I don't know what they're like. Is that something, first of all, that a doctor <laughs> could prescribe? And is that something that could be enter, uh, entertained <laughs> in this bill? That's a really good question. Um, the first part, if a doctor could prescribe it, that I just don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely could be a discussion that I just don't know. Like as a low vision as, clinic, let's say, you know. Yeah, which yeah. is definitely a possibility. Um, whether or not it would be covered, I think that's kind of in the gray area. Me as an advocate, I would always say, push for it, right? It has, presumably it has lens, let's go for it. Um, yeah. But it's obviously... Well, I shouldn't say obviously, but it's presumably a new form of technology. It pro probably wasn't in the mind scope of what they were thinking when they wrote this. But again, as an advocate, I always say, if it meets the definition, let's push for it. Um, mm -hmm. But I think technically, I don't think it falls under what they were thinking. But again, if we can make that argument, if you read the definition under the two bills, um, which I don't have the def definition of lens right in front of me on those two bills, but I'd encourage people, feel free to pull it up on congress.gov. 
And in every bill, they have a list of definitions for the applicable words. Let's see how they define lens because you can definitely make arguments. So thank you. Yeah. Next, you have Marlena Vanderval. Mm -hmm. Hi, Claire. Um, how does this, um, how does this bill differ from ones we've tried to pass, you know, get introduced and passed um, in previous years with regards to the 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 lens issue because I know and it seems like it seems very similar to some of those other bills is the only big difference the addition of hearing and, and dental I think you're correct um I apologize I can't speak too strongly to it because I haven't reviewed the bills over the last you know multiple congressional sessions because this has literally mm. been reintroduced for many <laughs> congressional sessions going back yeah um but i think your your assumption is pretty correct that yeah they're they've been pretty similar in fact i wouldn't be surprised if if offices like senator um casey have recycled <laughs> great portions of it um so yeah i, th I think you, i think you're correct okay thank you mm -hmm. Next, you have Sheila Young. Claire? Yes. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am peachy. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So for those of our members who have hearing issues, where can we introduce the hearing aid? I mean, I realize we can't introduce it here. But where with the Medicare and Medicaid, could we, or would that have to be an entirely different bill? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I'm going to start with the caveat that I apologize. I don't know the hearing component um, because we, we were um, very, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? We were very singular in what we were looking at because of our community, but we shouldn't be that way because we obviously have the uh, deafblind community. Um, well, we have we have RP people who have ushers, so that's, yeah, of that's where I'm going. So. No, I, that's thank thank you for bringing that up. We shouldn't have been so you know narrow in our scope. Um, I will look up. We can Swatha and I can do some research and read the language because, as um, Marlena pointed out and others, this bill definitely includes hearing. I just don't know if that include if it's specific to things like just seeing audiologists or if it goes as far as including. Um, hearing aids. Unfortunately, I know historically almost all insurance has rarely covered hearing aids, which is right. awful. Um, so I don't know if this bill is just speaking solely to getting an appointment with an audiologist or if it goes further for a hearing aid. Um, so let me do some research on that. Okay. Um, if you, you know. want to read the bill on congress.gov, have fun, um, but we can do some poking and, and find out too. Well, I'll, I'll be there on the fourth. So, okay, yep, we can thank find out. you. Of course, at this point, there's no more hands. Um, I'll do a little more rambling to see if any other hands pop up. Um, and we can <laughs> always end early, but just um, to kind of continue on with our training to prepare everybody for the Hill Day. Um, if people haven't attended the legislative seminar in the past, Swatha and I will be doing what we uh, regularly do, 
we'll have uh, about an hour's worth of training at the end of the day on what we kind of call the hill visit etiquette 101. Um, so we'll go over some do's and don'ts, how you should dress, questions to be expected to answer. Um, we'll do some role playing on what I often call the two extremes um, offices that are just ready to ask you a million questions and offices that are quiet as a mouse and don't want to ask you anything. Um, usually you'll get somewhere in between. Um, but we'll do that kind of Hill Visit 101 training where you guys can um, hear kind of a, a list of do's and don'ts Swatha and I have learned over the years of going to Hill meetings um, and do some role playing. So if people are, who are going want to practice, we are going to be looking for volunteers. So we're excited about that. Um, but we hope people will stick around. It will be the last thing on the schedule that day, but we will be doing some practice um, so people um, can know what to expect. I know the last couple of years, our training has been on how to work via Zoom, which you guys might still be doing this year. Um, and a lot of the training is still the same. There's not a ton of differences, but there is some difference because if you're going in person, um, there's, you know, what to wear, how to act, body language and things like that. Um, so our training will go over that, that kind of thing as well. So um, we hope people enjoy that. And that'll also be part of um, what we do at Legislative Seminar. And we're going to go to Ray Campbell. Um, yeah. Yes, Clara. So as long as we've got the time, I'll ask another question. Um, first of all, I'll let people know that if you are going to be leaving after going to the Hill to go home, you cannot take your luggage with you to Capitol Hill. Uh, you cannot do that. And other than that, so leave it with the hotel. Um, other than that, um, Claire, are there any changes in Capitol Hill security that we need to be aware of that, that you that you have found out? That's a great question. Um, to my knowledge, there shouldn't be anything that particular day. Um, just a couple years ago, because of both COVID and January 6th, things had gotten pretty tight for a while, totally understandably. Um, but I'd say since the beginning of the 118th Congress, things have gone back mostly to, to normal. Um, so you won't need anything like an ID card. You won't have to be escorted. You will have to go through a metal metal boom, a metal detector. So just be aware that you know you'll have to put. Okay, so it worked. Uh, DJ, just a minute. Okay. You'll have to go through regular security, kind of like when you go through TSA at an airport. So you have to take things out of your pocket. Um, for those of us with guide dogs, as myself, they often want to want me down because my guide dog sets it off. That kind of thing. Um, I know there might, there's supposed to be another event going on that day. And I know there's been a, a few concerns that it could change things. But to our knowledge, what we've been told, it shouldn't impact what's going on on Capitol Hill that day. So knock on wood, we haven't heard any problems. So nope, it should be well, what we've expected in the past. And I'll just tell everybody, the Capitol Police uh, handle that and they are very, very nice people. So uh, yes. Uh, nope, you won't have any. They're, they're very helpful. They'll help you get through the metal detectors and all that stuff. So nothing to worry about there. They're one, I've had wonderful experiences. Yeah, I agree with Ray. All right. DJ, go ahead. So quick question. Uh, will these imperatives be heard virtually and or be podcasted at a later date? 
Um, do you mean what we're doing right now, or do you mean the imperatives we're um, presenting at uh, the legislative seminar? Uh, when you'll be presenting at the actual, uh, on the actual dates in March. Yes, on March 4th. Um, hopefully Rick isn't going, Rick Warren isn't going to yell at me, but to my knowledge, um, <laughs> yes, the legislative seminar will be put out virtually. Well, you sound I, too kind for Rick Warren to be yelling at you. Does, <laughs> well, thank you. But yes, I'm I'm almost <laughs> positive it will all be put out virtually. So yes, you awesome. should be able to listen to it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Next we have Meryl Schecht. Okay, so this is my first time going. So my question is, so I know what to pack. So what should I be wearing on when I go to the hill? You know, so I know what to wear. What That's to a great yeah, that's a great question. So there's a few different ways you can approach it. And I've heard people talk about it in all different ways. Sometimes there. So sometimes when groups go, for instance, I've seen them and heard of them going in things like jeans and T-shirts. It can be super low, low um, dressing. But usually when people do that, it's because they're dressed as a group. So for instance, if your whole affiliate wanted to wear ACB of whatever your affiliate is, they might wear t-shirts and jeans. So I've seen things as low, you know, that casual as possible. However, for those of us who go to the Hill a lot, we tend to dress more professional, more business-like. So it's definitely something I would collaborate with your affiliate about because you would not want to go into the office with one person in jeans and an affiliate t-shirt and one person in business attire because that would look inappropriate. You don't want to be mismatched. So you should talk to your affiliate and see what the game plan is. But the rule of thumb is when in doubt, dress in business clothes because we want people to take us seriously. We want people to know that we're, um, you know, approaching it in a way that we're serious and we have planned and we're professional. Um, so I know personally I will be dressed in business attire, but talk with your affiliate. So like for a guy like khakis and a polo shirt would be plenty, would be good, right? Would you say? If that's what your affiliate wants to do, but if you're going by the rule of thumb of professional, I would dress a little bit nicer. I might wear black slacks, a button up, and a tie if you can. Okay. Mm -hmm. Next, we have Sharon Schalkowski. Hi. I just wanted to say that for uh, for the gentleman who was asking about uh, the imperatives, they have been uh, read onto a podcast already for people to listen to. Uh, on ACB business and they're read by, you know, one of the, I think it's probably one of the 11 lab voices, synthesized voices. So if, I don't know if you have a Victor stream, you can look for ACB business uh, or go to acbmedia.org and find them all uh, read out. That's right. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, and I I kind of think that they're being um, played on one of the media channels, but I don't remember which. You know, like every hour or something. Um, so maybe flick around and see if it might be like number nine or ten or something. <laughs> and I'm going to go back real quick to the dress code thing. Um this is probably hyperbolic and you guys probably know better. If your affiliate did just decide to wear um, matching affiliate t-shirts and jeans, still be 
professional. Do not wear stiletto high heels that are pink. Do not wear a tube top showing your belly. Um, you know, don't wear I mean, again, this is probably so hyperbolic and silly, but I just want to make a point because every now and then you hear people who just do silly things. We want to be taken seriously. We want people to know that we are here to to advocate for our community. So if your, you know, mom wouldn't approve, don't wear it. (laughs) All right. No more hands right now. Okay. Um, Well, we can end a little bit soon if there are no questions. But again, um, we hope everybody will attend the legislative seminar on March 4th. Um, And like I said, I'm 99% sure it will be um, put out virtually as well. So those who aren't coming in person, you can still participate. We hope people will hang around to the last. We're Swath and I are sorry it's the last thing of the day. Um, It was the only place we could fit it in. But we hope people stay for the you know, Hill Etiquette 101 and learn lots about that. And um, we're excited. If you need any help to schedule meetings, to contact your um, congressional offices, anything like that, reach out to Swath and I. We're happy to help with that. Um, and we're we're excited to see everybody on Capitol Hill. Me and Swatha plan to plant one person on the Senate side and one person on the House side, probably in one of like the cafeterias or restaurant areas. And so you guys can come and find somebody, whether it be me and Swatha or someone else will be planted there. So we're kind of a base where you can come and ask questions. Um, We'll probably put our cohort of guide guide assist there so we can pair people up there that way. Um, So we'll always, always be around if you guys need any help. And we're really excited. Thanks, everybody.